Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Uh, brought before you today um, a, a little chunk of lead uh, here this morning. And uh, this, this lead is one of the more dense metals we have uh, readily available to us. Um, used for a lot of things, don't ingest it, right? Um, but one of the things that lead is used for is, is for me, in the hunting and fishing world. Uh, this happens to be a decoy weight, but they make fishing weights uh, at bigger than this uh, even still. And if you've uh, heard anything in the fishing world in the last couple weeks, uh, there's some buzz about some guys uh, using uh, lead weights like this in a dishonest fashion. So one of my favorite things to do when I fish is to fish tournaments. And the way that a t- fishing tournament works is you, everybody puts their money in the hat and it's run by a tournament director. And the tournament director uh, hangs on to all the money and at the end of the day he runs what's called the weigh-in. And you get to bring in your five best fish, your five biggest fish, and whoever has the five biggest fish gets first place and gets uh, the money in their second place and third and, and it goes down. Well, there's a particular guy over uh, on Lake Erie in a walleye tournament uh, that really wanted to win. And they took eight pounds of lead and put it down the throats of five walleye. Yeah, they won. Yeah, they won. And uh, the the video is is so profane. I was going to show it this morning, but there was no way it would have been silence. Uh, Because in the moment... In the moment when the tournament director bends down and cuts open a fish and these big lead weights come rolling out, this nice, gentle tournament fishing a bunch of anglers scene turns into an angry mob in a very big hurry. And the guy who was cheated is standing there just taking the brunt of all this, this verbalness. And in that moment, you're watching it thinking, man, that guy, is a, that's a scummy move. That's a cheaty little deal. Well, if you do your homework even further, you'll find out that this guy and his tournament partner last year won over $300,000. Now, none of those were considered cheats, but you start to wonder, right? And they've won millions, almost millions of dollars over the last 15 years uh, in the tournament scene and just the walleye scene. And so I tell you all that because in the fishing world, it was a big deal. Uh, But today we're talking about some people that are kind of the scum of the earth, and we're talking about tax collectors a tax collector and a Pharisee, and so I figured it just segued right in, in the world that I was in, uh, that some scummy fishing cheaters would do such a thing. Uh, a tax collector uh, was not somebody who wanted to be in Bible times, uh, and, and even to this day still isn't. Uh, tax collectors have a bad, bad rapport with all of us. Um, and so today, we'll be reading about Luke 18. Uh, Luke 18, 9 through 14. I'm going to read it to you. I don't have it on the screen. I'm kind of old school that way. And I'm, I'm afraid to put things up there because I misspell things all the time. Uh, Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. I'll read it. says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, 
robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. But all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Luke last week talked to us about prayer, Luke on Luke, uh, talked to us about prayer, and today we'll be talking a little bit about prayer as well. But tax collectors were awful and loathed human beings. Tax collectors were Jewish people paid by Roman government to tax Jews. They could tax on, on anything they wanted to, imports, exports, uh, sales of goods, uh, travel, property, or just about anything else that they wanted to. Uh, they were not well liked by Jews because the Jews felt like they were paying tax for their own oppression. Uh, the tax collectors were not well liked by Romans because they're just the hired hand. And they're not Romans, they're Jews. The tax collectors hung out with other tax collectors, really until Jesus came around. Tax collectors were not paid actually by the Romans, but the Romans just assumed that they were taking their cut. So it was like accepted corruption. So say one day you're walking down the road in Bible times and a tax collector comes up to you and says, right now, today, I'm going to tax you for walking on this road and I'm going to tax your property. In that moment, you would have to come up with the, with the cash. And if you were able to come up with the cash, good for you. But as luck might have it, uh, you would maybe be walking down the road and, and a block later, another tax collector could stop you and tax you for the same thing. It wouldn't matter that you had just been taxed. You'd have to pay it again. If you couldn't pay, then they gave you a nice, atrocious loan. A loan that maybe charged you two or three times uh, the next time that they'd see you. And if you couldn't pay that loan, uh, then maybe they would uh, take you and uh, give you the hired hand treatment where they would pay their thugs to beat you up. It was not uncommon for tax collectors to have hired thugs who took care of their dirty work, uh, and it was justified because you couldn't pay your taxes. This would most likely leave you injured or lame, which means you couldn't work, which means making do for the next time would be that much harder. And this is why tax collectors were despised. Tax collectors were alongside murderers and robbers. The rabbis taught that tax collectors were disqualified witnesses in court, societal outcasts and utter disgraces to their own family. The rabbis also excommunicated tax collectors from the synagogue. Tax collectors weren't allowed to exchange money at the temple treasury. And this is the clincher, this one for me. The rabbis even considered it lawful to lie in almost any conceivable way to avoid paying tax collectors. They were not well liked. And so consequently, no one would take this job unless they were already a low-life criminal and a loser. So when Jesus had Matthew, one of his disciples as a tax collector, it certainly made things interesting. But even to this day, we don't like tax collectors. I did a little homework this week. Starting wage for a tax collector, a.k.a. the IRS, your starting wage, 40000 a year. The average employee at IRS makes 74000 and it tops out, if you're the IRS climbing the ladder, $140,000 a year. I know how you feel right now. I'm one of those. And in that moment, as you feel that, that's the way that they felt in the Bible about tax collectors only times ten. They were not well liked. 
Uh, they were people that belonged in jail. They were thieves themselves. They belonged with murderers, but they made money off the government or made money for the government, so they were pretty much above the law. But here we have Jesus polarizing a Pharisee and a tax collector. A tax collector uh, would have been the traditional villain, but in this story, it, it turns out the other way. So as far as Pharisees go, Pharisees get a bad rap mostly because of Jesus' skew on them, but at the time, like I said, they were more the victor than the villain. Uh, Pharisees also weren't all that bad. Uh, Pharisees um, most likely didn't call themselves Pharisees in the same way that New Testament Christians most likely didn't call themselves Christians. The name Pharisee came from other people's groups. Uh, the word Pharisee means separated ones. But what they were separated from, or what they were separated, uh, what made them separate, uh, is up for debate. But it is notable that the Pharisees were separate from the rest of society. Pharisees thought a lot of themselves because they practiced right things. They thought they were better than others. <clears throat> Some of the good things that Pharisees tried to do was to get people to act at home and in public the same way they acted in the temple. I think we still do some of the same things today. They also were big into the oral tradition and handing down the Old Testament stories. And they were also some of the first, first people to record the Old Testament. So we owe it to the Pharisees uh, for their preservation of the Old Testament. That's, but that's probably all the good uh, that they did and are probably viewed in a negative light because Jesus has some nice words for them. He refers to them as fools, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, vipers and snakes, blind guides, and implies that they are the children of hell. <coughs> so when we look at the specifics of how each prayed, the tax collector and the Pharisee, uh, this is what we learn uh, in the heart of each. The Pharisee starts out, he stood and was praying to himself, it says. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, the swindlers, the unjust, the adulterers, or even this tax collector. The Pharisee's prayer has more to do with himself and glorifying himself than glorifying God. Uh, he basically says, I can find worse people, so I must not be all that bad. And then he starts to brag about his spiritual accomplishments. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. Well, the law only requires the Pharisee to fast once a week, so he's far superior, of course. He's fasting twice a week. Uh, the, law, the law also requires him only to uh, pay tithes on certain crops and certain things. But this Pharisee pays tithes on everything, a tenth of everything. That means he was counting seeds. That means he was counting everything he had and paying a tenth of all of it. So again, a very much an overachiever. So what this Pharisee says is true about himself, but the spirit of his prayer was all wrong. <clears throat> there is no sense of sin in his life. There is no sense of need, nor of humble dependence on God. But when we contrast that <coughs> with the tax collector uh, standing some distance away, tax collector standing some distance away, and uh, even unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, this is quite a different prayer from the Pharisee. But even if we hadn't heard the preceding prayer, there's a lot of good merit in this prayer. 
First of all, he stood at a distance. Even though the temple was a public place or a place for public and private prayer, there was this sense that he might be like just barely in the doors, uh, whereas the Pharisee was uh, front and center. He's a long way away from the Pharisee, uh, that's for sure. And as a tax collector, he would have been out of place in there. Uh, He would have been well noticed. There's no tax collectors in the temple hardly ever. And so at this moment, it would have been very, very well known that there's a tax collector here today. Uh, He also doesn't look uh, toward heaven. It was a normal acceptance way to prayer to look towards heaven in Bible times. Uh, And he doesn't. He has his face downcast, uh, a sign of shame uh, and regret. For those of you that have dogs, can you get your dog to cower in just a word? If I say to my dog, what'd you do? What did you do? I can just see my dog hunker down. Tail goes between the legs. I must have messed up somehow. All right? And, the, and this, this uh, tax collector takes on the, the stance of, of a shamed or cowering dog. Uh, so he's, a, he's, a, he's the whooped pup. On top of all that, he's beating his breasts. He beats his breasts as a sign of extreme anguish. This is usually done over a tragic funeral. Uh, but he's upset over his sin. Uh, I'm telling you right now that if I started hitting myself in front of you and kept doing it and kept doing it, at some point you'd be like, geez, Ike, like enough. You know, but the, the scripture here has this idea that he's continually beating his own breast. He's in such anguish over his sin. And he's continually doing it. <clears throat> so he's a tax collector in the temple, looking downward, beating his breast, you would see him. You would notice him. Ironically, the next time in the Bible that people beat their breasts is in Luke 23, right after Jesus is crucified. The tax collector, his prayer is short, only a few words. And he asks for one thing, and he asks for God's mercy. He asks that God's wrath, as God's anger, would be removed from him. He is very aware of what he deserves. He is just asking that he doesn't get that. Uh, Although some uh, versions of the story say that the tax collector calls himself a sinner, it is more appropriate translation that he calls himself the sinner. Not a sinner, not one who has sinned, or one who sins sometimes, (coughs) but the sinner. He knows his sin is great, and he knows what he deserves, and he's really hoping he doesn't get that. His prayer is short and deals only with him and God and not anybody else. The prayer of the uh, the heart of the prayer that Jesus and the point that Jesus is trying to make is right there. The scripture says that only one went home justified, or one went home uh, the old saying of reckoned righteous. I kind of like that. Uh, so I'm going to pull three three A's, three A's out of Luke 18, and the first one is that is attitude. So where are we with our attitude when it comes to sin and sinners? What's the difference between my sin and the sin of the guys who had fishing sinkers? Well, my sin isn't broadcast across the internet. But let's say that it was. Let's say if all of a sudden on this screen you got to see all of Ike's sin and all the moments I had sin. Oh my goodness, right? I mean, I'd be, I'd be filled with shame. But then after we get done of, of watching my sin, be like at least an hour, 
then your sin started to scroll on the screen. And then the next person's, and the next person's. And in some ways, in some ways it would be, it would be uh, relieving that we would all know each other's sin. At the same time, the shame. The shame would be brutal. Uh, so what is our attitude towards sin? Yes, yours and mine isn't broadcasted. Um, but what are we doing with our sin? Are we actually confessing it? Or do we hide it? Do we hide our sin? Do we keep it in the dark? Or do we bring it into the light? If others aren't aware of our sin, it is easy to keep in the dark. It is easy to not let others in on it. Uh, but then it can stay there in the dark and keep growing. Is our attitude of sin fleeing? Do we move away from sin? <coughs> I know it's easy for me to stand up here on Sunday morning and say, flee from sin. I know that. I get that. I understand that. Um, but it's hard to do. But it starts in the mind. <clears throat> One of the first books I ever read in high school was this book right here, Life on the Edge by Dr. James Dobson. And uh, this book had to do with, in the second chapter of this book, talks about the courtroom of the mind and how the mind is the place of battle. Now, ironically enough, I lost my book and I stole this from a girl I was dating. Yes, stole. Her name's still right here, Terry Williams, right there. I mean, I guess it's okay. We got married. It becomes hers as mine, you know. I still don't know where my book is. Terry's a little more responsible than me. But the second chapter being the courtroom of the mind, and it talks about this idea that all of the battles, spiritual and not, start in the mind, are fought in the mind and end in the mind. And what happens in the mind just manifests outside of the mind. We also read the same thing or a similar thing in James chapter 1, where it says we are tempted by our own desires, and then we are dragged away by them. Oh, I love this girl right here. I forgot water. Ruthie, I would love you anyways, even if you didn't bring me water. Uh, I can't speak for the rest of you, but I know that ever since I became aware of what this book made me aware of, uh, that I do most of my battling in my mind. And I know that my mind is my biggest tool against sin, but also my biggest adversary. The way this parable even starts is by Jesus talking directly to people who thought that they were more righteous and trusted in themselves. Do we view ourselves as sinners or as righteous because of what we have said or what we have done? Romans 12.3 talks about this idea of not thinking of ourselves as more highly than we ought, but rather thinking of ourselves as sober or sound judgment. What we think of ourselves carries a lot of weight. We know exactly how bad or how good of a person we are if we're thinking of ourselves with sober judgment. Don't think of ourselves too highly. You know the things you say. You know the things you do. You know the things you think. The second A is attitude. I'm sorry, we had, first A was attitude. The second A is altitude. When we recognize what we, that we are sinners, we can come down a few notches. We don't think of ourselves from this high, elevated position. I have students in the youth group that have said these things to me over the years. Ike, it's just a little bit of sin. Ike, I only drink a little bit on the weekends. Ike, I only smoke a little bit of weed. Ike, I only sneak out sometimes. 
I, I only took my parents that one time, my parents' car that one time without my license. Ike, I only stayed at my boyfriend's house a couple times overnight. And the list goes on and on. These are legit things that students have said to me over the years. It's just a little bit of sin. When we take a stance like this on sin, where it's just a little bit, then we start to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And if you call yourself a Christian, and the longer you've called yourself a Christian, you're in danger of falling into this camp. I have a friend, some of you might know my friend, uh, some of you might call him friend too, his name is Todd Looney. Todd has made a video uh, that I have seen where he makes a special batch of chocolate chip cookies. Some of you maybe have seen it. Uh, in this batch of chocolate chip cookies, there's the normal natural good stuff, the sugars, vanilla, flour, the Crisco, the chocolate chips, and then right at the end, before he, he, he uh, puts them in the pan to cook, he stirs in just a, just a little bit, just a little teeny tiny bit of cat poop. What's, what's the big deal? It's just, a, it's just a little bit of poop. And then he goes on in the video to cook the cookies with cat poop in them. And he gets done and says, what's the big deal? It's just, it's just a little bit of poop. Just a little bit. Of, it's just a little bit in there. Just a little bit. All right? And so you get the idea. The cookie is trash. No one's going to eat the cookie, right? Uh, our sin to God is, is the same way. Even though it's just a little bit, it's gross. It doesn't matter how much we dress it up or hide it. Uh, it's still there. It, just a little bit. It's gross. So what am I asking? Am I asking, church, don't forget that you're a sinner. Even if you uh, were the only person who had sinned, the only person on this earth, if you and I were the only person on the earth that had sinned, Jesus still would have needed to come and die for our sins. Our sin is bad. We need to confess our sin. We need to seek repentance. We need to call sin what it is, and that's sin. We didn't make a mistake. Uh, we didn't slip up. Uh, we sinned. We don't need to try to earn our salvation by doing more, or looking more holy like the Pharisee did, uh, because we're still a sinner. Uh, and this is where we get into the clincher of the scripture. And he who finds himself <clears throat> exalted will be humbled. And he who exalts himself, or sorry, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's where we get to the last A, and that's ample. <clears throat> Do you possess ample humility, ample humbleness? <clears throat> it would only make sense in God's uh, kingdom that it's contrary to the desires that we have for our own benefit. I don't know why we want to be known. I don't know why we want to be special or popular or a big deal. But I know that if I truly want to be great, I must humble myself. Not just act humble, but truly be humble. <clears throat> I too am not very good at this. Uh, I actually, but I know that I actually want to be humble. I know that it's good to be humble. I know that God wants that for me. I know that when I am humble, I am at my greatest. And that God can do good things in me when I am humble. But it's a struggle. Even to stand before you here and preach. I have to always go through the same scenario when I get asked to preach or speak. <clears throat> Why do you want to preach, Ike? Well, in all seriousness, and a good friend of mine named Travis Rieger says, Ike likes a hot mic. It's true. I like the stage. 
I like a microphone. I like the attention. But I know that standing up here isn't Ike's 20 minutes of fame. This isn't about me. And every time I do something that would draw attention to me or make me the star of the stage, I know that that's not my place. I know that's not me that's going to save the world. I know that it's Jesus. So be humble-like. It's a real struggle sometimes. Every single time I'm asked to, asked to speak, in my brain, there's a war waging. Why do you want to speak, Ike? Why do you want to be up there? Is this for you, Ike? Or is this for them? Is this for him? I know that I'm not a big deal. And I don't need to try to be a big deal. There's no need for me to be famous. And if I wanted to chase fame, uh, I should have done it by now. In reality, I want to make God famous. I want people to know Jesus. I don't want people to know me, the rotten, stinky sinner who really doesn't deserve to be up here. The spot here at the microphone seems like it should be for someone with less sinful credentials. But if sin alone disqualified us from carrying the gospel, the message would have stopped a long time ago because none of us would be worthy. The fact that God uses sinners to further his kingdom is really humbling. The point is not to be a tax collector, but to pray like one. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. My sin is icky. I have my moments that are not so good. But forgiveness from my sin is what I need. And to pray any other prayer other than that would probably be an oversight. At the end of the story here in Luke, only one went home justified or or reckoned righteous. And it was the man who was aware of his sin and asked for forgiveness. It takes ample humility to ask for forgiveness of sin. I'll close with with one last story. Uh, When I was a a freshman at Crossroads College, uh, I started uh, taking classes, and I started hearing uh, prayers from each of our professors before each class. And it was great. I was glad that each professor would pray. Uh, It was challenging to me. It let me in on their life. And uh, there's no better way to start something than to pray. Well, my first semester, several other students had asked me if I had heard Professor Manahan pray yet. No, that's a weird question. And I didn't have uh, Eugene Manahan for my uh, first semester, but when I got to my second semester, I had forgot about this character until I got him. And then he opened up class one day and began to pray. I don't remember Professor Manahan's word-for-word prayer, but I remember how humble it was. He prayed that he couldn't even believe a sinner like him would get to teach a class. That he was unworthy to teach without Jesus in his life. His prayer went on for a bit longer, and at that point in my life I remember thinking, this is one of the more humble things I've ever heard. I'm grateful for prayers like this. I don't know where Professor Manahan is these days, but I'm grateful for prayers like him. I've read stories like this before, and I'm glad that uh, even the stories that Luke Proctor shared last week about throughout history and people being um, perseverant in prayer and diligent in prayer have gone on for generations because they give something for us to emulate and have a heart to chase after. So pray like a tax collector.
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us, sinners. Help us to pray that. Help us to keep you in the focus. Help us to know that you are the big deal. You are a great, great God who furthers his kingdom through us. It is in your name I pray. Amen. 